it was actually kind of coincidental that I was in the middle of a teaching day and then the student was five minutes late. And so I just happened to look at my email and there's this email from the agency saying, do you want to be considered by this birth mother? And I just wrote, yes. And I think there were not that many people who were able to just respond that quickly. And the social worker showed her those profiles and she picked me. And so then I got this call because I'd said yes at that point. And I got the call that said, you are a mom. Welcome to the Crossing It Off Podcast, where we believe living with intention through a bucket list lifestyle is a great way to bring yourself personal joy. As you are crossing items off your list, you're actually filling up your bucket. The more items you cross off, the more joy gets added, until eventually your joy spills over into the lives of those around you. Now, let's start crossing it off together. What's something on your bucket list that you want to do solo? Just you, nobody else. Is it a small trip? Is it buying something for yourself? But do you have something on your bucket list that you're taking on as a solo venture? Our bucket list storyteller today took on something major as a solo item on her bucket list. Took a lot of guts and courage for her to reach out and do this thing because ultimately it wasn't about being solo. Let's learn what she did and start crossing it off. At this time, I'd like to welcome my guest, Michelle Fiala. She describes herself as a writer, a mom, and a musician. Michelle, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Roger. Yeah, so tell our listeners, Michelle, what um, did you cross off your bucket list? I adopted a child as a single parent. I'm a parent of three, and I don't think I would necessarily go back and choose to do that, especially alone. So where did that come from for you? Why was that important? You know, it's not it's not typical American family. So why was this important to you? I'll say that now I kind of agree with you that it seems a little crazy now looking back, I think, <laughs> I think some days. But uh, I had always wanted to be a mom. I remember even when I was young, loving babysitting, loving kids, loving that energy and really wanting to become a mom. And then I was in a marriage for a long time where my husband decided he did not want to be a parent. And we went through a lot of counseling through the years. Uh, he was a great guy. And uh, it was really hard to make the decision, but I finally reached, I reached the age of 38 and I woke mm. up and I just, I, if I'm going to ever do this, I need to do this now. And I'd already had some health issues. So I knew that I wasn't going to be able to do it biologically. So I had always felt like adoption, even when I was going to have the first surgery, the doctor was like, how do you feel about losing your fertility? And I said, fine, because if I ever want a child, I would feel great about adopting a child. So that to me was always something I loved the idea of and loved the idea that someone would be chosen, grow up knowing that he was chosen. Uh, So I had an open adoption and my son knows about it. And so eventually I ended up leaving my marriage and then kind of going down the long road of home studies and all that sort of stuff to get set up to adopt a child. And then it happened really fast from there. <laughs> that's, that's good to hear because I've heard sometimes it takes a really long time. So before you actually did it, what were the people around you communicating to you? Were people excited for you? Were people, you know, family, friends? What was their response to you wanting to, to cross this off your list? People were really supportive. And my brother and sister-in-law who had had my niece two and a half years before my son was born, uh, the Christmas before my son was born, and I had no idea he was going to be born in March at that point, but they loaded me up with every kind of baby mm-hmm. thing they had. My trunk was full and they had, you know, bassinet and all the clothes that 
when he was born then turned out to be too small because he was such a large child from the <laughs> beginning but it had so many other things you need and then friends also rallied around and everybody was excited and um everybody said it's the best thing you'll ever do and the hardest thing you'll ever do and they were certainly right <laughs> yeah so did you have any fears was there anything that like inside of you like was I'm sure you had many, but like, what were some, a couple of things you're like, oh, I'm actually going to do this. What were some of the fears that you might have had? I had tremendous fears and it took me a long time to sort of um, pull the trigger, I guess you might call it. Although that seems like a strange way to talk about having a child. <laughs> but um, I was really afraid because my job is very busy and I'm very busy with my career and I thought how on earth am I going to fit everything in and there's still days when I think how on earth can I fit everything in uh, and I worried about just uh, just being able to do it because you're on duty 24 hours a day most of the time you know you're um, it took a lot of years for him to start sleeping better I just worried about not being able to handle illnesses and any special needs and all that sort of stuff and then of course a lot of the things that I figured have have happened at this point. And uh, I've written about some of them, actually, you know, him having been hospitalized for respiratory failure when he was nine months old, and then, you know, later having some, you know, some just high activity, high needs things where we've gone through occupational therapy and all that sort of stuff. And, and the answer is just that you just figure it out as you go, you know, you can't, um, I worried a lot about that stuff in advance. Like what if that happens and how will I deal with it? And then at the time you just don't have any choice. You just, you do what you need to do. It's your child. Yeah. That, that sounds a lot like a typical parenting uh, woes and concerns. <laughs> doesn't sound like they were <laughs> more outside the realm, which is nice. So walk us through the process of actually being able to do this. What, what were some of the first things you had to do and what maybe was kind of the hardest or most frustrating part of the process for you? I think overcoming the self-doubt that we just talked about was the hardest part of the process. And I found the agency really quickly. I think even before I set out on the process, because a, a good friend of mine for many years had adopted her daughter through this agency and it was only domestic infant open adoption. And I just really liked the way um, that I liked the way things were run in that way. And, and when I talked to friends who had done adoption, having an open adoption and having some health records for your child and access to just some history of the mm. birth family, I think is really useful as well as for your child's peace of mind, them knowing a little something, you know, like we're now connected to his birth half sister and birth half brother. And that's just amazing. And I know Scott feels so accepted to have people in his life that are like him genetically also, as well as, of course, his whole family. But um, it's been really tremendous because for me also, because I've never seen two people who are as much like my son. You know, when we met his birth brother, I was like, okay, so much makes sense now. <laughs> and his, you know, the birth brother's mom was saying, he can never sit down and eat a meal. And I was like, neither can Scott. They just... They just run around all the time. But I, I digress from, I'm sorry, I did digress from the question, which was um, what took the longest. So I got, I figured out the agency and then I started filling out the home study paperwork. And that's intimidating if you've never done that. Um, and there is a whole lot to it. You have to do all these trainings for the state and the trainings for the state were all about special needs teenagers with 
um, what is it, uh, where they can't attach attachment disorder. Mm. And it really had nothing to do with infants. I kind of wish I'd had some trainings that had something to do with the kind of adoption I was doing, but it's a lot of paperwork, a lot of online work. Then you have the, you have the social worker coming to your house and checking everything. So you want to make sure everything's set up. You have to get the right kind of fire extinguishers and all kinds of things. And during this whole process, then I would get to a certain point and I would just sort of just get overwhelmed and think I can't handle this right now. And so it took me a long time to get through. And then once your home study is finally completed and approved, you have, I think it's two years to um, then be able to adopt from that. And the first year I just stayed off the list. I just got really intimidated. I was also um, involved in a relationship at that time that I thought, is that going to go somewhere or not go somewhere? And would that affect the whole decision and timing? And then finally, I was like, okay, it's been a year and I've wasted a year after spending $3,000 to get this done and all this time, then I'm going to get on this list. And I thought, well, it could take quite a while, so I might as well get on the list. And so then you take pictures and you have this booklet done and it's like an advertisement for yourself, really for yourself and your family. And yeah, and that's what the birth parents, that's what his birth mother looked at who chose me then from that, from this booklet so, about me. So so you didn't choose, they chose you? Yes. And yeah. if, you yeah, had, if you would have more people choose you, would you then have the option to pick? Or was it just, it's you just sitting around waiting for someone to say yes to Michelle? You're waiting for someone to say yes. And you get, I got a couple of calls before, before Scott. And the couple of calls I got were calls that I, um, my heart was sad that I couldn't answer those calls, but it would be um, babies who were born at say three pounds and addicted to cocaine and those sorts of things that I didn't feel like I could handle. And a huge, I have huge admiration for the people who did take those children. And I'm sure they've had a wonderful, wonderful life with them, but I didn't feel like as a sole parent, I could handle that. So I was waiting until someone asked me who he was born at a healthy weight, full term with a lot of, you know, without addiction and that sort of thing that, that I just felt like we're kind of over what I felt like I could handle. And so this was a really healthy pregnancy and they, it was actually kind of coincidental that I was in the middle of a teaching day and then a student was five minutes late. And so I just happened to look at my email and there's this email from the agency saying, do you want to be considered by this birth mother? And I just wrote, yes. And I think there were not that many people who were able to just respond that quickly. And the social worker showed her those profiles and she picked me. And so then I got this call because I'd said yes at that point. And I got the call and it said, you are a mom come to Cincinnati and be in the hospital with your son. <laughs> so, was so was that, that's, that's super quick. I mean, that's like, that's like warp speed <laughs> overdrive type of quick. And I have so many questions. So you was Scott born at that point? I mean, or, and, and so you, you weren't a part of that yes. part of the process, right? Correct. He was born at 1143. I got the first email at three o'clock and then at four, by 430, I was a mom. So <laughs> then I, it took me three hours to get to Cincinnati. So it wasn't until that evening that I, you know, I felt bad that he had been in the nursery for nine hours. But now that we've had our whole lives together, I think it's probably okay for nine hours. <laughs> yes. 
Here at the Crossing It Off Podcast, we are passionate about inspiring you in your bucket list lifestyle and empowering you to live out your list. We offer many resources to assist you in your bucket list journey, such as web resources in the show notes, bucket list mentoring services, my book, Live Out Your Lists, a private Facebook group for you to share your bucket list success stories with others, and more. All of these can be found at crossingitoffpodcast.com. Find the resource that fits your need so that you can live out your list. Now back to the show. Yes. It's a, wow. I'm, just, I'm very impressed. That's all I can say right now is I'm super impressed. I'm sure the car ride to Cincinnati was anxiety ridden, or at least I would be. So you show up at the hospital and how are you feeling when you first see him? What, what's your reaction? Where's your mind at when, when you, when it becomes uber real at that point? I was so nervous. I mean, I was excited too, but I was so nervous. And some parents have told me I knew right away the second I saw them. And, and I was just like, which one is he? You know, I was just <laughs> kind of peering. In the I wrote in this sto- a story in my blog actually about that, but I was really just sitting there because the nurse was out for a minute and I'm staring in the nursery, looking from baby to baby thinking, I don't even know which one is mine. <laughs> you know, that wasn't exactly how I thought motherhood was going to go with the, which one was mine. Um, And then I remember having him put in my arms and it was very, very exciting. And it was very, very exciting first night. I was just sort of lit up on fire trying to handle everything and process everything and figure out how to deal with work and home. And, um, and just, it was a total disbelief. I just remember it being such disbelief. And I, I, you know, he was amazing and I was crazy about him right away and we bonded very quickly, but I think you have to say, I went through more shock, I think (laughs) than I expected. (laughs) <laughs> so that that's the first stage then how long were you was he there before you took him home he was there two days and so we got a room and so we were together for those two days and I was feeding him and I remember being so scared that first night because he was still spitting up amniotic fluid and he wasn't eating much and I was like oh is my baby gonna eat and by the next day he was eating twice as much as the nurses thought he was supposed to and so he was a healthy, healthy kid and has grown by leaps and bounds. And so uh, we got out in two days and then I got to bring him home. And I had to, at that point, borrow a car seat because I didn't have a car seat yet. And so I borrowed a car seat to get him home. And I found that um, a friend of mine who had five kids had filled my entire screen porch with gifts. He had just gotten everything that I could need to get started. And then other friends just started dropping by and just piling up the gifts and just, I mean, we got all kinds of stuff and they made it. Actually, um, a Jewish friend of mine had told me that it's a tradition not to buy anything for the baby until the baby's born and that you get everything. And that's exactly how it went. I had those things from my brother and sister-in-law. So I had some real basic stuff and then everybody just started bringing all the stuff and everybody was so excited and so welcoming. And it was pretty amazing. It was just that first year definitely was the best year of my life. Like it was just so amazing to have this tiny little person and watch him growing. It was so incredible. And I felt like I was on top of the world at that point. Can you tell us how long this has been for you now? How old Scott? He just turned five. Five. Uh, two weeks ago, okay. he turned five. Okay. So we, we've walked through this joyous experience of going and picking him up at the hospital. But as parents, we know like that's like a snapshot in a photo album that there's so much more to being a parent. So 
how has that process been from after bringing him home to, you know, almost getting ready for probably preschool now or, or getting close to going to kindergarten. So how has that been for you? Was that different than you imagined it to be? I mean, every year is kind of different with, with a child, but how has that process been the long, seeing the long haul, the five year, you know, having a child's forever, but, but, but at least those first five years of that, how's that worked for you? It's been a lot more up and down than I ever imagined. I think all, all parents can identify with that, that there are a lot of things you don't expect. I, like I mentioned that when he was nine months old and was in respiratory failure, that was really a big, big point for us. Um, and he was hospitalized in the ICU and that was such a hard time. And as far as, you know, I have those mom fears of, of things with my child. He's been very healthy since then, but that was a really hard time. And then those toddler years, man, they <laughs> are challenging. So we've had a lot more challenges. And I, uh, it's been really amazing how much it's made me explore myself and how much it's made me um, go back into therapy and really open a lot of stuff with myself. Just uh, finding that I am not the parent I thought I was going to be and the parent I hoped I would be. And I have a lot more personal stuff to deal with to not be triggered by my child so much. I think that's not an uncommon experience, but it was just kind of a shock just how much there was and how easy it was to be triggered, especially during the years of of so much sleep deprivation when I just was sort of um, running at the edge of my own capacity. And I would find that I, it, I still find I lose my temper more than I would like to lose my temper. But I've definitely grown a lot as a person because I've gone back into counseling and I've really started consciously working on my own positive thinking too, and on exposing myself to positive influences. Uh, writing that humor blog, of course, is something that writing I'd done for a lot of years for myself and then started making public. And that was just like this feeling of having a creative outlet during this time. And, you know, you have to actually then really carve time out for yourself in a way that you've never had to try to do before you have a child. So there's just so much to it. And there are these, of course, amazing times with him and hilarious stuff with him. And then there's some just incredibly difficult times. I was just gonna I was just gonna ask about you offered up that you have an open adoption. Mm-hmm. And so what is how's that been? What 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 part has the birth mother or father played in Scott's life at this point? Yeah, the birth mother was in contact with me fairly regularly in the beginning. And I would send pictures and things like that. And she and I have not had much contact in the last couple of years. And I would like to be able to reach, she touched her cell phone number, and I'd like to be able to reach out to her again. It was really pivotal in our lives that the social worker connected us with the two birth siblings who were also adopted by different mm. families at birth. Okay, That's been huge. Um, but I would like to have more contact with the birth mother, especially when Scott has some questions about her and even have pictures of her and things like that. But at least I have some information. So I'm able to talk about her. And I talked to Scott about that. Bianca helped carry him in her belly because I wanted to be a mom and I couldn't carry a baby in my belly. And so she carried him in her belly so that I could be a mom. Is there one piece of advice if someone 
you know, overheard you telling your story in a cafe and said, oh, I've thought about adoption. What's like one thing that you would say to them to say, uh, that, you know, if you're going to do this, you got to do X. Go through a lot of counseling. <laughs> no, <it's>, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, Process like everything in your life <laughs> first. Yeah. It, I always used to joke that, you know, anybody can get a driver's, you know, you have to take a test to get a driver's license, but anybody can just be a parent. And so right. it sounds like, you know, and I know that, you know, yeah, it'd be helpful if you work through some of your stuff for sure. Hiring help is just crucial too. I mean, having, I, I my dad moved uh, while Scott was, when Scott was young and has been just huge in his life being close to us and we see him a lot. And then I have a couple of part-time nannies uh, I would love to have something like an au pair or something like that. Somebody more full-time, the people I know who do that, it's really very helpful. You just you have no idea how much help you're going to need. And the more things you can outsource, the more you can hire somebody to make some meals and hire somebody to help you clean the house, then the better. I appreciate you uh, sharing this. This is a, definitely a personal journey for sure. And I'm excited that you shared with us today. Michelle, what's something else on your butt? I mean, this is huge and probably mostly time consuming adopting a, a child like this, but what's something else, you know, we, you talked a little bit about, you know, taking care of yourself in this process. What else is on your bucket list? Yeah. When you said that earlier, I thought I'll have a good answer by the time you ask it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would like to take him on some bigger trips now. Actually, this afternoon we have our interview at the passport office and we haven't gone anywhere international since he was born. And obviously, since the pandemic, we've traveled a lot less. And I've been talking with family about going to some more islands and beaches, which I really love. And Scott's very excited. We went to Puerto Rico with the family in November. And I would love to take some other trips like that. And we've even talked about that specifically because uh, we're a bi biracial family. My son is black. That taking him to a black majority island um, would be so cool to have him have that experience of not being in the minority as he mm -hmm. is in you know, a small town in Ohio. So I think traveling more with him and traveling bigger places would be on my list next. Awesome. Yeah, that would be huge. Michelle, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate your, your telling your story. Where can folks find more information about you or get connected with you online? momflysolo.com. So that's my blog. And, and there's also a podcast on Spotify and Apple also called mom flies solo. And um, I would love to have readers connect and you can subscribe to the blog. And I'm happy to talk personally too. I, I try to keep in contact with my subscribers and I'd love to hear from people. And you wrote a book? Well, I have two music books actually. Okay. So I, yeah, there I am also a, a musician and a music professor. And so I have a, two books about the oboe, actually. One's published by Oxford University Press. So I think about the potential of a book of the Momfly solo type writings also in the future. That would be, maybe that's another one I'll put on my bucket list. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun one, especially these days when self-publishing is so readily available. It's it's kind of nice to be able to do that at least once. Michelle, thanks for being here. And I do wish you all the best. I hope that you get a chance to go to an island with Scott. I, I suggest the Dominican Republic, but that's just me. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It's very inspiring and best wishes to you. Thank you so much for having me today. <laughs>